Finger guns, finger guns in the house. Hello, everybody. There's been a steady stream of stories coming out over the last several months uh, relating to potential corruption involving President Biden and his son, Hunter. It appears as though we might be reaching a tipping point when it comes to this, as House Speaker Kevin McCarthy opened up an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. How likely is this to go anywhere? Will this dredge out even more information? Will this have an impact on the election? We're going to be talking about all of this and more on episode 415 of the In the Tank podcast. Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. And joining me today, I've got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartline Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing just great. Uh, um, I usually don't make a big deal about this, but uh, tomorrow is my birthday and I officially enter my mid-50s. So um, even though I am as equally as I'm equally as older than you, as I always will be, uh, tomorrow I will feel just a little bit older than you guys, even more so. Oh, well, happy birthday in advance, Jim. Um, also joining us, we have Chris Talgo. He is the editorial director at the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? Doing good. I want to wish Jim a uh, early happy birthday. And uh, I'm sorry to say this, but we do our Survivor League. We got, you know, everyone picks one team, one NFL team. And once you pick that team, you can't pick them again. And Jim actually lost in week one. Oh, <laughs> wow. Wow. wow! I'm sorry, Jim. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, also, joining us, we picking have the Minnesota Vikings. Man, what a bad idea! Oh, I never, I never should have picked them. I never picked. They've, they've never knocked me out of Kirk more survivor pulls than any other NFL team. They stink. Also, we've got uh, Justin Haskins with us. He is the. Oh wait, no, he's not. He's still in gallivanting over there in Europe. I think I saw a picture of him wearing a beret. If you believe that or not, uh, I think he's meeting up with Klaus Schwab over there. I, I'm not entirely sure. Those are just the rumors going around on on X. So uh, you you believe it or you don't. I don't know. That's up to you. Yeah, <laughs> but, we're not uh, going to believe that one. <laughs> so, audio only listeners. Uh, we've got uh, I got that message. I always say to you that are probably watching the show on a Friday or later listening to the show. First off, why don't you leave a review for us on iTunes? That'd be greatly appreciated. Also, you could join us a day earlier where we are live streaming this show at noon central time on Facebook and Rumble and YouTube and Twitter. And you can join the conversation, throw your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comment on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. You can also support us by doing that uh, super chat functionality. We have that enabled. Guarantee that you uh, will have your comment or question read on the air while also supporting the show. And you can also support the show by not spending a dollar and just by hitting that like button, sharing this content, subscribing if you haven't already, or just leaving a comment under the video. All those things help break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. I feel like there was something else that I wanted to bring up right off the bat. Oh, yes. That is the fact that uh, we do have a Davos watch. I have a Davos watch segment prepared for the end of the show. So make sure you watch 
all the way through the end for that at uh for that uh for that segment but gentlemen we're done with the benefit dinner so we don't have to pitch that every every week now i think it went pretty well we had a couple of fans i had a couple of fans come up to me um bill for one mark for another daniel robin for another oh i just blasted out your real name whatever I think there was a couple of other ones that I did not get to meet. Somebody was telling me about somebody else that came up to them, but I don't think I was able to interact with them. But I wanted to thank all of those that uh, came up and, and gave us support and, and said that they watched the show and all of that. Uh, I really appreciate it. it Gentlemen, great. any last yeah. words about that or the benefit dinner or anything like that? No, the benefit dinner was great and it was it was fun. There were probably almost a dozen uh, regular listeners who came up to me and mentioned that they love the show and uh, really appreciate the fact that we're out here every week. Um, I think somebody in the comments just today uh, mentioned that, what is this? This is in the tank number 415. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of weekly shows. I mean, we didn't start live streaming this until about uh, show 180 or something like that, maybe. I don't know. That's when we started doing it on... on uh, on YouTube, but you know, we've had uh, more than 400 episodes of this show every single week talking about, you know, news of the day and how it, you know, applies to the principles that the Heartland Institute is pushing for, which is, you know, smaller government, more individual liberty, and, um, you know, the fight to preserve it. So uh, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Here's to 415 more. We'll see. <laughs> but uh, uh, so a lot, of, a lot of things I want to get to. Like I said, there's the Biden stuff that we're going to talk about. We've got the Davos watch segment towards the end. Maybe we're going to squeak in another topic. But before we get into any of that, the Socialism 2023 conference took place in Chicago earlier this month. Chris, did you go to that? Mm, no, unfortunately, I was not invited. <laughs> oh, I think they would have allowed you. You might have had to put in a fake name or something like that. But Put on a wig, yeah. You you missed out on some great informational panels and lectures. I might I might uh, inform you. You might be remiss now that I uh, tell you what you've what you forgot when uh, you didn't go. But some of the panels included kids as comrades, which discussed the best practices in developing socialist programming for kids. You missed resisting the traditional life turn, which sought to combat the emerging pro-family, pro-labor agenda that casts abortion, feminism, and sexual liberty as neoliberal capitalist innovations, which exploit women. Aren't you so upset that you missed that one? Nice. Or, oh, that you, oh, maybe you can get this one in recording because I'm sure you wanted to watch this one. Family Abolition Today which advocated for replacing the family with a plethora of government programs. The panel included Sophie Lewis, who promotes surrogacy as a means of eradicating natural family relationships. So, Chris, after hearing those, are you psyched to go to next year's? I can't wait. Especially, especially, you know, it actually sounds a lot like this was the uh, B BLM uh, agenda because this is remember before they, you know, erased their website oh. and they took away all their anti-family propaganda and all their, you know, basically pro-communist, pro-Marxist uh, propaganda. So this actually seems like it was cut and pasted right off of the uh, BLM website circa 2020, you know, right after those, you know, those all those peaceful riots, Donnie. Yeah, well, apparently died. this is this is a thing, the whole destroying the family thing. And I was just talking to yeah. Chris before we hit hit go on this. And I was saying that I think we under the Socialism Research Center 
should do more work on this. And separately from this story that I'm talking about, I was sent an article. Now, granted, this is a couple of years old article. It was published by The Atlantic, but the title is The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake. And the subhead was the family structure we've held up as a cultural ideal for the past half century has been a catastrophe for many. It's time to figure out a better way to live together. Authored by David Brooks. So that's uh, this is in the academic zeitgeist when it comes to yeah. socialist beliefs and and yeah. yeah I think- but 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 here's 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 the thing, and Donnie, you're well aware of this, and Jim, you're well aware of this. Almost every major socialist regime in human history has tried to drive a wedge between children and their families. So when we talk about like Hitler Youth and trying to get you know uh, little kids in Nazi Germany to tattle on their parents if they were you know saying bad things about the regime. Stalin did the same thing. Mao did the same thing. Castro's done the same thing. Every single it's, communist. It's in the communist manifesto. Right. Because because what they're trying to do is they're trying to replace the family with the state. And the state has to you know be above the family. So in order to do that, you need to you know drive a wedge between the family and the child. And the child right. is malleable. The child, you know, is able to be um, you know, brainwashed and through the use of propaganda, they are able to, you know, to to be malleable to the degree that they can you know, uh, believe the lies that the, you know, state is like pushing. And, you know, I I think what we're seeing is we are, and I'm a former school teacher, I've seen some of this stuff, you know, in, you know, in the classroom. And, you know, we were sitting here, we're like, we're laughing at it, but it's, it's, it's happening in classrooms across the country. And I mean, I left the teaching profession five years ago, and I can guarantee you that this was happening at all the middle schools and high schools that I was teaching at, you know, five or so year ago. And I can only expect that it's gotten way worse mm-hmm. since then. And I also think this is, you know, I know this is probably going to get us, you know, on the uh, YouTube ban list here. But part of the part of what happened during the pandemic was to try to isolate the children away from the parents by, you know, telling them, you know, you can't go to school with all this stuff. You have to, you know, use remote learning and all that. But I do think to some degree that there's a silver lining and that that backfired because it also caused some parents to actually say, wait a second, what's going on in these classrooms? Because I think most parents, for the most part, thought, okay, you know, my kids are going to school. They're going to learn in the ABCs, you know, arithmetic, science and all that kind of stuff. And then when they saw what was really going on, it did, you know, expose their agenda. And what we've seen uh, in the past couple of years since the school shutdowns, and since, you know, what was going on in the in the curriculum was exposed, we've seen a lot more uh, homeschooling. We've seen a lot more micro schools and we've seen a lot more, uh, you know, parents want to put their uh, kids in non-public schools. So I think this does have a teeny bit of a blessing. However, you know, th- I'm still afraid because when I see these, you know, these things and when I see going on in the classroom curriculum, because this is not just at this conference, this is happening in curricula across the country, especially in middle schools, because those are even, you know, those kids are even more vulnerable to this kind of crap. Uh, it's it, it, it's taking shape. And I think that it's something that we need to make sure we're working against and we can't fall into that trap of, hey, if we're, you know, saying uh, the, the, the the transgender, you know, stuff going on in, in schools is is, you know, a part of the culture war. It's not just that it's part of the culture war. It's also part of uh, maintaining the nuclear family. Parents have the right to, you know, to deem what their kids are learning about in school, not teachers, unions and not government. 
Very, very important. Yeah, as Chris was talking, uh, Andy has been scrolling through the actual listing of panels at the Socialism 2023 conference to prove that I wasn't making those panels up. And while he's doing it, I could see that Jim is just reading them off as he goes along and shaking his head furiously. But uh, Jim, did you see that one of the days started with yoga in the morning? And then ended the the events ended with a radical drag show in the evening. I feel like if we tried to make a parody of a socialist conference, I don't think we'd come up with half as good as material as what's actually on their site right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know. One of the, one of the things on the, on the program, for those of you just listening to this and not seeing it, one of them I think was resisting carceral sanism or some sanism. I was like, um, I was like, what is that? (laughs) I have no idea what that is, but there are plenty of panels talking about what uh, you just talked about, Chris, the destruction of the family. Um, uh, it's it's a common it's a it's a driving theme through here and it's separating uh, children because uh, children in a socialist Marxist society, um, you you don't own yourself. You don't you don't have any autonomy. So naturally, children do not um, parents do not have autonomy that they don't have ownership. Um of their children. In fact, it's, it would be wrong. It would be wrong to allow parents to raise kids because how could we be sure that they would be raised with the proper socialist values that we need to indoctrinate people with uh, in order to um, sustain a socialist Marxist society? You know, um, I shared a video with, uh, with Donnie earlier this week from a podcast called Trigonometry. Um, Trigonometry. Uh, it's, it's, uh, hosted by two British, uh, men. Uh, one of them, I believe is a comedian. They might both be comedians. Um, they've been red pilled, it seems, uh, over the last several years. Um, and one of the, one of the, one of the men was born in the Soviet union. So he's very much anti, uh, socialism, anti-Marxism. And to their credit, they had on their program, uh, very recently, an avowed Marxist, and he, they wanted him to explain and make the case for Marxism and socialism, and why that would be a better system. And of course, he just waves with a wave of the hand and a, and a little aside. He says, "Well, as they challenge him, saying, well, you know, where it's been tried, it hasn't really worked out very well for human beings, um, especially the millions and millions of human beings who have been murdered by those socialist and Marxist regimes because they did not did not want to go along with collectivism." Because in a in a Marxist socialist society, um, every, nothing is more important than the state. Not your own life, not the life of your children. Um, you must sacrifice everything for the good of the state, for the greater good. Um, and it struck me that um, and one of the panels here was about uh, blaming capitalism for COVID nineteen, apparently, or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but how um, you know it kind of struck me that COVID in in the year twenty twenty. Um, and I should say government response to COVID in 2020 was was kind of like a, we got to see what a Marxist society would be like in super fast forward, because first we got the smiling face of collectivism, right? Um, we're all going to do our part to stop the spread. Two weeks to stop the spread. We should all do our part. And people voluntarily um, looked at that smiling face of collectivism and said, OK, yeah, just this once. This seems pretty serious. You, you said this is a very deadly virus and easily spread. So we'll do our best. Um, but then that was a lie. It was never two weeks to to stop the spread. Um, even Deborah Burks even admitted, I believe, in her own uh, autobiography or her own book about COVID that they always knew it was, it was not going to just be two weeks. So it all started with a lie. 
um, because Marxists always lie. It's lies all the way down. And then soon in COVID, we were asked uh, uh, to stay inside. You know, we need to stay inside. And, and in fact, people voluntarily did that. But before too long, people were being arrested for going outside. So this smiling face of collectivism and do it, doing it all for, for your fellow man turned into arresting um, paddle boarders out, in, out um, you know, 500 yards off of shore or um, uh, putting police tape around playgrounds and, um, you know, and arresting parents who take their children uh, to play outside because um, after weeks and weeks, they just can't stand to be inside anymore. Um, business owners were asked to put in, put in place uh, things to protect the public. Uh, and then before long, that smiling face of collectivism and just doing it all for your fellow American turned into closing businesses down that were deemed by government bureaucrats to be not essential. That means your corner grocery store um, had to close down or your, your, your corner shop did, your small business. But Walmart and the big grocery chains, they, they're allowed to remain open because the government decided this. And on and on it goes. Um, and it, 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 so Marxism and socialism, when you see these, these sorts of things, and it's very disconcerting that um, you know, parents would bring their children to this, that, that, that there's so much focus on teaching children the wonders of socialism. And obviously without teaching them any of the downsides, which is what this channel in particular and the Harlan Institute in general uh, is really working toward. Um, that's why we have something called the Socialism Research Center. It's not to research how great socialism is. It's actually to tell the truth about socialism. But it, there is no aspect of your life that they will not deem that they have the power to control. And again, we saw this in fast forward in COVID. Congressman John Lewis gets a lavish funeral with nobody wearing masks in a beautiful uh, church. George Floyd gets four funerals in public uh, with, again, with nobody wearing masks. But you can't have a funeral for your father if he passed away. And in fact, he probably passed, he may have passed away in a nursing home without the ability for anybody in his family to comfort him in his last days. That is the snarling evil face of true Marxism and collectivism and socialism. And uh, to see these sorts of things, I, mean, I really do actually wish I heard about this, this, uh, this, this convention or whatever in Chicago earlier, because I would have liked to have gone um, you know, undercover and really report back, maybe do some secret videos. We will definitely, if, if there's another one of these in Chicago again, we definitely have to go because um, this kind of stuff needs to be exposed. And um, because down this path is great misery and death. Yeah, no, I, I think they do it every year. And I think we should definitely plan for, for next year. Usually they host it around July. This one was a little bit later in the year for whatever reason. I don't know. But uh, on one hand, I feel like, this conference, you know, is, is not like a big deal and it's funny. We could laugh at it. And it's just like anyone could put on a conference and get like a hundred people to attend. And like you look at the crowd of these people and we've played video from past conferences and it's, you know, it's like a hundred crazy people. So it's like hard to really take them too seriously. However, there are a number of notable speakers that give far too much credibility to this absurd circus clown show. There's a number of professors that represent various colleges. Naomi Klein was there. Emily Drabinsky, who is the president of the American Library Association and a self-described Marxist lesbian, who explained at one point during the conference that public schools and local libraries need to be a site of socialist organizing. So it's like, I feel like, you know, I can make a case that you could dismiss this as just a bunch of lunatics, but on the same side uh, or on the other side of that coin, it's like, I don't know, like 
this is actually getting attention of people that have influence, uh, you know, in the world or whatever. So, yeah, I, I, it's to me, it's it's crazy. Um, but we should also kind of pay attention to what their rhetoric is. Yeah, Chris, I mean, look, look, it, the, the, the concept of liberty can be summed up in one word. No. If you don't have the ability to say no, then you're not free. And everything about that entire schedule is about compelling the entire society to do what a small number of elites demand must be done in order to have a good, uh, you know, a good world or whatever, whatever excuses they have. It's really just it's really just um, a PR campaign for a power grab for a, uh, you know, for a global elite. But if you can't say no, you're not free. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, all right, we're 20 minutes in. We got to go yeah. to our main topic here. So just days ago, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said he's launching an impeachment inquiry against President Biden. In a statement on Tuesday, McCarthy said House investigators uh, into the investigations into the Biden family have already uncovered a, quote, culture of corruption that demands deeper review. McCarthy said he will direct the chairman of the House Judiciary Oversight and Ways and Means Committees to lead the inquiry. Democrats, on the other hand, are saying that there is no evidence. In fact, Chuck Schumer referred uh, to the calls for an inquiry as absurd and that, quote, the American people want us, Congress, to do something that will make their lives better, not go off on these chases and witch hunts. After he said that, he burst into flames due to extreme irony, but uh, that's besides the point. So, Chris, I don't get it. Um, I mean, I feel like we've talked about a lot of this stuff in regards to Biden over the past several months, uh, several months, whether it's the Hunter Biden emails or this witness testimony, recovered text messages. Even the FBI came out with some stuff. So does that not amount to evidence? Maybe at least a little smoke? What's your take on all this? Okay, I've got many, many different thoughts, some very conflicting thoughts on this. So first of all, I don't want impeachment to just become something that is wielded by every single Congress just to get the sitting president out of the job. So I don't want this to, to be, you know, to become uh, just a mechanism, just a tool used by the other party, which is what I'm afraid that it's going to become. Um, you know, John, I mean, Donnie, we've had, you know, more than a couple hundred years of uh, Congress and the president, you know, working together. And only a few times, only a handful of times has Congress gone to the level of impeachment, Andrew Johnson, Bill Clinton, and then Donald Trump a bunch of times, and now maybe President Biden. So I think that this is just kind of a dangerous road to, to even go down. Uh, on the on the issue at stake, whether or not this rises to impeachment, you know, impeachment is supposed to be for high crimes, treason, and misdemeanors, Okay. Uh, what, what president Biden is accused of doing is he's accused of, you know, doing these shady business deals, but he wasn't president at the time. So also, I don't know if this really would apply to his, you know, current, uh, you know, standing as president. So, I mean, there's, there's half of me that says, don't do this, please. This is, you know, kind of just like a dog and pony show for the American people just to, you know, say, Hey, we're fighting the good fight and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But then there's another side of me that says, well, wait a second. There is a lot of stuff that Congress needs to be doing. We've got, you know, the the, the budget coming up here in a couple of weeks. We're going to be, you know, needing to, to pass a budget. Uh, there's a bunch of other things that Congress, you know, should be uh, working with. And I just don't know if this rises to that level. So I feel that, you know, right now we're sitting in late 2023. We're on the cusp of yet another election season. And I think that already the process of governing 
has said they've said no we're not going to really be interested in that and now it's all about you know 2024 election and i i'm hmm. you know i mean i'm just I, i'm really of uh you know different minds on this one. Oh, interesting so. i thought for sure chris was going to be like hell yeah kevin mccarthy bring the impeachment to him but uh interesting jim what was your reaction similar to chris different uh chris 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 <laughs> <laughs> you uh, you you live in a world that no longer exists. You you have this you have this this notion of how our government should operate, and you have fallen into the trap of um, holding on to that fantasy and in, in in the in the in the in the false hope that if we just if our side just plays by the rules, if we're nice then the other side will stop trying to destroy this country and destroy everybody who is not a radical leftist Democrat who happens to accidentally get elected into office in an election that wouldn't be rigged. So um, it is a long past time. I, I am done, frankly. I am done with that kind of mindset, that, that Mitt Romney type, and he's just going to retire now. We just learned uh, yesterday or this morning he's going to retire. That Mitt Romney uh, George W. Bush kind of mindset. Those days are over. And if you are going to sit back and I, I, you actually made some great points, Chris, these are things that Joe Biden did while he was um, vice president. And I have a uh, little doubt that all of these allegations, or at least most of them would turn out to be true. He traded on his office while vice president of the United States, um, to enrich himself and his family. The evidence is piling up higher than the Washington monument that this is the case. I agree. And, and I the totally and agree. so and so yeah, he wasn't president at the time, but that is high corruption in our government and it cannot go unpunished. And if impeachment is the only way it's going to be punished because <laughs> the justice department is going to charge uh, uh, anybody in the Bidens with serious federal crimes. Are you kidding me? They tried to they tried to hide all of the crimes that Hunter Biden has has um has committed including violations of the uh, the FARA Act, which is where you have to register as an agent of a foreign country, um, you know, if you're going to advocate for the interests of a foreign country. Donald Trump's campaign manager, Paul Manafort, went to federal prison for a, a BS interpretation of that law. I agree. Hunter Biden agree should be behind that. bars right now. And if we are going to clean up this government, if we're going to have a government that's worthy of the people of the United States, this sort of thing cannot go unpunished. Joe Biden, um, and, and for the Democrats to say, and, and, or, or, you know, like I, I saw, you see it on Twitter, you know, Democrat mouthpieces and the press. But again, I repeat myself saying things like, you know, impeachment should be reserved for serious, serious times. It should be rare. You guys cheered the impeachment of Donald Trump over a phone call that a, a lifelong Ukrainian-born bureaucrat didn't like. But you got impeached over that. He got impeached. After he was out of office, Bolton wrote a whole book about that. Yeah, but, 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 but. So, you, so Donald Trump can be impeached after when he's not president anymore. But, um, but, 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 uh, you know, Joe Biden is supposed to get off on this. He had the evidence, like I said, is, is piled as high as the Washington Monument. There, uh, Joe Biden had private emails with the name Robert L. Peters, among others, in which he discussed his hunt, his son Hunter uh, Biden's business in Ukraine and of course how the Biden family can help there are there are there are phone recordings there are text messages there are emails the there's the entire contents of the Hunter Biden laptop 
which the deep state and the media kept from the kept the American people from knowing about before the election on purpose so they could get Donald Trump out of office. So, Chris, the only way we are going to get back to a government and a policy and a politics and a society that is normal, like it used to be all the way back in the, uh, the times of George W. Bush and Barack Obama. The only way we're going to get there is if this side, our side, the side that is always under attack by the left and the government fights back with the same tools that they have used against us this entire time. We are not going to win um, with both hands tied behind our back while our face keeps getting pounded by the system. Well, here's the predicament that I'm in. And Donnie, I think you can empathize with this because we've had discussions about this, you know, in for years. I try to I try to, you know, have my my principles um, and and don't let the ends justify the means. So if when when the uh, Democrats were impeaching um, President Trump on, you know, on, on grounds that I didn't think was, you know, that, that, that didn't, you know, uh, rise to the level of impeachment, I'm not going to do the same things as I say, well, I want to get that guy. So I think that once again, in this situation, the charges, as we know them, do not rise to that level. And I don't want to get into a like a grudge match where it's like, well, we're going to do this and then they're going to do that. And then they take the nuclear option on the Senate and get rid of the filibuster. And then they pack the court. And it's I don't want to go down that road. I mean, you can call me naive. You can say that I'm looking through this with rose colored glasses. But I still hope to some degree that in the future we can get back to some, you know, some semblance of, you know, the constitutional, you know, restraints that our government has abided by for the past couple of hundred years. And I think that the more that we push that envelope, because they're obviously pushing it. But then if we're just saying, okay, if if you're going to do that, then we're going to do it twice as hard. I think that we're just as bad as them. And I think that that only accelerates the process of, you know, undoing any constitutional, uh, you know, controls on, on how our government, you know, acts. And I think that that's a lesson. I think that that's just, you know, that is going to, you know, uh, make matters way worse, not better. Okay, well, put aside whether or not you think this should happen. Right. It it looks like he already, you know, he already said, yeah, we're we're opening up an inquiry or whatever. Do you think it's going to go anywhere? Uh, Chris, you already kind of mentioned this being like a dog and pony show. I've heard other commentators say this sort of thing where it's like, yeah, they're just, you know, Republicans are just trying to curry favor with their supporters before they sell them down the river when it comes to this budget talk that's coming in a couple of weeks. So do you think it's going to go anywhere? Well, okay. so all he's done so far is launch an inquiry. This is not you know, we are not at the level of actually, you know, the charges, you know, being leveled yet. That's going to require an actual vote. It don't I don't know if the Republicans even have enough to vote on to begin the impeachment process. And then let's say even if they do, even if they kind of squeak by by the you know skin of their teeth on a you know couple of votes, does anyone in their right mind think that the Senate would actually convict President Biden? No, of course not. So all this is going to do is just lead to you know the Senate not uh, convicting him. And President Biden can use this as somewhat, somewhat of a win going into campaign season. But I, Donnie, I mean, I kind of do go back to the beginning. If we are outraged at them using uh, the impeachment for political purposes, well, then I'm going to be somewhat outraged if we do it for the same you know, reason, even if those grounds are a little more justified based on the behaviors, because I still go back to that. He didn't do this while president. If this was all happening you know, in the past two and a half years while he was in the Oval Office, I think obviously. 
but this goes back years and years in, in the past. And then that I think opens up a whole new Pandora's box of let's say someone is, you know, uh, elected president. And then it's like, oh, well, 20 years ago, we found you did this. So therefore we're going to like, you know, impeach you upon that. I think that that is just not a road we want to go down at all. I've got another point I want to make, but Jim, do you care to respond to Chris's assessment? Make your point while I calm down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So like I, I said, like this. I like this. There's one commentator that I, that I mentioned that, uh, you know, thinks that this is just, like I said, just optics to, to win points on the, on the Republican side. Another commentator that I was listening to that I very much enjoy is speculating that they think that this could be the excuse that Democrats need to move this increasingly losing it 85 year olds uh, before the general election comes up, maybe get someone a little bit more fresh, you know, someone like Michelle Obama or something like that in there. And uh, I mean, which I can I can kind of buy that. I mean, did you guys see him doing his speech? A couple of different media appearances, speeches that he gave in Vietnam and all of that. Well, I, I have one question. Are you alluding that the Democrats are working in tandem with the Republicans on this? No, but that okay. they, this could just be the opportunity okay. that they need. Well, because, uh, you know, because I have seen in the past couple of days, especially since uh, the Washington Post uh, came out with an op-ed saying Joe Biden should not run again in 2024, that a lot of, uh, you know, high-ranking Democrat officials and a lot of the talking heads on MSNBC and CNN are starting to you know, discuss that possibility. Hmm, interesting. So I, I do find the timing sort of interesting. The fact that the impeachment inquiry comes up just as the chatter about, you know, replacing, potentially replacing Joe Biden on the uh, ticket starts to, you know, get louder and louder and louder. However, I, I don't think that it's uh, the Democrats working in tandem with the Republicans, because I don't think that they work in tandem on anything. Right. Um, well, I, I want to uh, we have a couple of clips here of uh, dear leader Biden. So I want to I want to go ahead and play just to kind of show you the current state of the president in question, because we've talked several for the past several years, couple of years, I should say, about the just the decline of Joe Biden. And, you know, it's it's been kind of ridiculous, but it's getting just absurd at this point. Uh, Jim. You've got two clips lined up for us. Which one yeah. do you want to? Which one do you want to play first? Uh, let, let's do. Let's do the. Um, let well. For, they're wait. both equally bad. I want to play both of them. They're both so. equally bad. All right, we'll play. We'll play. Uh, we'll play. These are let's just call these uh, highlights from uh, President Biden's super successful trip uh, to <laughs> Vietnam at the G20 summit. Here we go. Dude, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Did you ever think you'd be sitting at a G20 conference where everyone was preoccupied with the notion of global warming? Not a joke. Did you ever think that? And there's a, my, my brother loves having, there's famous lines from movies that he always quotes, you know, and one, one of them is there is, there's a movie about John Wayne. He's an Indian scout, and they're trying to get the. I think it was Apache, one of the great yeah. tribes of America, That's back brutal. on the reservation, and he's standing with the Union. So he's they're all on, they're and they're on their horses and their saddles, and there's three or four Indians in headdresses, and the Union soldiers. And the Union soldiers basically saying, the "Indians, come with me. We'll take care of you. We'll be everything. Will be good." And the Indian scout, the Indian looks at John Wayne and points to the Union soldier and says, he's a lion, dog-faced pony soldier. 
Well, there's a lot of lying dog-faced pony soldiers out there about, about global warming. But not anymore. All of a sudden, they all realize it. It's a problem. And there's nothing like seeing the light for, and uh, I see, I'm just following my orders here. <laughs> okay, so yep. he's in Vietnam delivering this speech. No one in the crowd knows what he's talking about, <laughs> like at no. all. At least now we've got the origin of the lying dog face pony soldier line that he used during his campaign. So that's that's one plus from the from the speech there, but that's yeah. not even the worst of it. But uh, if you have a comment, throw it in there, Jim. Well, but I do want to play the other clip. Well, yeah, we'll play the other clip. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad I finally know the 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 full story behind the dog face pony soldier line that he yeah. that he, he told that it he in length out all the time <laughs> that he pulled out on the campaign trail and shouting it at his own supporters <laughs> in uh, in the during the primaries. Whatever. But uh, I actually, and the reason it was his kind of long the long at the end is because I, I saved it for there for when he's just kind of losing where he's at and what's going on. And, and I'm just following orders here now, just real quick to bring it back to why he should be impeached. And, uh, we, one of our fantastic, um, viewers here on, on YouTube said, um, Chris, let me, I'm about impeachment. He said, Chris, let me correct you. We mm -hmm. were against it for Trump because it was false and made up in the case of Biden. Uh, it is here and now and ongoing. Biden sold, sold himself and evaded paying taxes. Um, when he says at the end of that, I'm just following orders here. Sometimes I wonder if, if he's just talking about his handlers that are actually running the country and not him. He's just a, a bumbling figurehead of the Mr. Magoo of the socialist left uh, presidency that we have here. Um, but his son was doing business with the Communist Chinese Party, with businessmen who are just CCP operatives. Um, he went on Air Force Two with his dad to China at least once, probably several times. And so we need to get down to the bottom of how much the Biden family is involved in basically using his influence while he was in office to set policies that benefit the Chinese and not the American people. That's a very serious crime, as as Gaylord pointed out. Trump was was impeached on completely bogus made up charges. So um Let's get. I know, I know, I, I shouldn't have gone that long. No, no, wait, real, real quick. Uh, Linnea showed up in the comments, and uh, and I said, Oh, Linnea, if you want to join us, I'll send you the link. Sent her the link. Here she is, Linnea Lucan. A forgot what her title is because usually I have to write it down and it's 45 words long, <laughs> but she is a yep. <laughs> energy environment person, research fellow research for fellow, the. That's it. That's right, for the uh, Climate and Environment Center here at the Heartland Institute. Linnea, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for shooting me an invite there. I <laughs> hope I don't derail anything too badly. No, I was going to invite you yesterday, but I was just like, you know what? I heard that she wasn't feeling too well after the benefit dinner, and I know she'll probably do Climate Change Roundtable on Friday, so I'll give her a break. But uh, but if you're you know willing to join us, I'm always happy to have you on. So, Linnea, just to catch you up, we've been talking about the potential impending impeachment proceedings in regards to Joe Biden and whether or not uh, they're justified, whether or not you think they're going to go anywhere. Do you have any comments on this topic? Well, I don't know. I kind of I kind of like the um, theory that it's, you know, GOPE and the Democrats working together on this one. Mm. Um, I, I really do. It is hard to imagine a world in which Biden runs for another term 
and makes it through another term. And I don't necessarily mean that in terms of him like passing away or something, but he's, I mean, look at the state of him now. Look at that speech that he just gave. Every time he gets in front of a camera, he has this amazing word salad that's really only beaten out by Kamala Harris uh, in terms of how undecipherable it is. They're a match you know, made you in need, heaven. Like, they really CIA are. code breakers to figure out what this administration is saying at any point in time. Um, and if my voice sounds off, it is because I was sick earlier in the week and I'm recovering mm. from that. Um, but no, I, 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 I think that of all presidents that we've lately had, or at least in my lifetime, he probably deserves impeachment um, more than any of the others just because of his corruption. But more than impeachment, he shouldn't have been elected in the first place. Um, you know, if they hadn't buried that Hunter Biden laptop story, I, I really don't think that he would be sitting in the White House right now. If people were aware of the full extent of that family's corruption, I mean, we've got so many people in government right now that have these like generational, um, let's say, international dealings <laughs> that are a little getting a little bit out of hand here. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I would like to see anyone pay any kind of price for those activities. Right. Uh, but I'm not really holding my breath that it'll work out. I think they're just going to ditch him. And unfortunately for all of us, I. I really am leaning towards the theory that they're going to trot out Gavin Newsom mm. at the Heartland Institute. It's kind of unthinkable that he might be popular uh, because he is um, probably the one, one of, if not the worst governors in the United States uh, policy wise, California is crashing and burning. And we all know that, um, but he's also younger and some people seem to think that he has some kind of a charisma. Um, I think it's kind of a uh, Norman Bates kind of charisma, but <laughs> it's, I guess we'll, we'll have to see how it works out. But I have seen that idea floated around, and I, I don't think that it lacks merit, at least. Uh, uh, Chris, before you jump in, I know you want to say something, but uh, how do you know? When they started off talking about the state of Biden, which we do have another clip, and Jim spent time putting this together, so we got to play it. Go ahead and play that second Biden clip. Will you please? And look, nobody likes having celebrated international meetings mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you don't know what you want at the meeting. If you don't have a game plan, he may have a game plan. He just hasn't shared it with me. But I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. This is unbelievable. It's still going, yeah, everyone that's talk, audio only listeners. We talked about, we talked about at the conference overall, we talked about stability. We talked about making sure that the third world, the, uh, excuse me, the third world, the uh, the the, uh, the southern hemisphere had don't access say that anymore. to change it. Had access. We, it wasn't confrontational at all. You came with me. Thank, thank you, everybody. This ends thank, the count press thank conference. You. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. The video is still going. How often is the president just cut off uh, in mid sentence like that? Never. And then uh, Jim says the White House feed stops, but it, his presence on the stage continues. With every person I met with. 
And he staggers off the stage. Just, uh, just something else that we are witnessing here. And yeah, to assume yeah. that he's going to go through a whole nother general election campaign, he's going to go through a whole series of debates against whoever the Republican nominee is ends up being. Tony, but, but 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 here's the thing. So yeah, we don't think that he's qualified to run for a second term. But instead of using impeachment to get rid of him, why don't we use the ballot box to get rid of him? That's all I'm saying. I do not want to make impeachment a tool that just anyone uses whenever they just want to try to get rid of the president. That's that to me is a recipe for a long term disaster. That's the greatest and fairest election ever, part two. Yeah, but up. but 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 that's <laughs> conflating. But that's but that's conflating different issues. Yes, we need to have a free and fair election. Yeah, we do. But that doesn't mean that we need to resort to these kind of, you know, tactics in order to try to win, because then you're saying we, we here's the ends and we'll do whatever it takes to get to that end. I refuse to live by that. I try to live by here's the principle. I'm going to buy by that principle. I know that those are two different things. And I know that politics is really dirty. And I know that in politics, you know, a lot of times the ends ju do justify the means because that's what these people are willing to do. However, I'm not going to I'm not going to personally support that because I think that then we are just then I'm being a hypocrite. And then I'm contradicting myself because every time that I complain about when when one side does something that is unconstitutional or that literally does actually threaten democracy. Well, they're doing it. So now we got to do it even more. I refuse to go down that that path. Sorry. I stand on the principle that impeachment is there to remove corrupt criminal presidents from office. Um, the, the left and the Democrats applied no standard at all. They did not they did not apply that standard to get rid of Trump. They hated Trump. I was seeing this morning on Twitter, people sharing uh, a headline headlines from all across the mainstream media, including one that was published literally 19 minutes after Trump was inaugurated that said the Trump impeachment uh, drive begins. Um, I am sorry, Chris. I am not going to stand by on the principle of not punishing criminal presidents because because uh, I didn't like the way it was done to Trump. That's I'm not going to stand in that in that place anymore. So you and I are no longer friends. I don't want to speak to you anymore. <laughs> but, uh, Does this mean I don't have to buy you lunch at the barbecue spot? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's the last barbecue. Awesome. You can <laughs> no, but look, look, he enriched his family based on on his position in government. The guy yeah, has I, no I get skills. All that. But he did He's that as a politician. But he did that as vice president. And then in the few years after he was out of office. So to me, in, in terms of everything that I can see about the impeachment process. So he should be rewarded by not by not having any charges brought against him in any way. No, no you I'm not let him get away with it, Chris. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not and saying you're going to let every other politician get away with it now, too, no, because you're, no, if, you don't see, remove, I, if you don't impeach Joe Biden, and I have no, I have no illusions that they'd actually vote him out of office. But I think that's, like, that, that's sort of a well, false. If you don't impeach him for these crimes, you are encouraging more of these sorts of crimes that are already rampant across our government. All right. All right. I, I like the debates. You know, it's sometimes we get into this little groove where we're all supporting the same thing. And yeah, this policy being proposed by so-and-so is bad. So I like a little heated conversation. It's uh... I'm not soft. I have th very thick skin. So random guy. Sorry, <laughs> the buddy, the reason Linnea came, came on the podcast is she could hear me <laughs> shouting all the way down in South Carolina without even watching the live stream. That's, That's right. That's yeah, right. true. <laughs> Yeah, so um, the White House is obviously doing everything they can to run interference against this. The White House is reportedly sending letters to media outlets 
urging them to, quote, ramp up their scrutiny over the impeachment inquiry. In the letter, White House spokesman Ian Sams wrote, it's time for the media to ramp up its scrutiny of House Republicans for opening an impeachment inquiry based on lies. Covering impeachment as a process story, Republicans say X, but White House says Y, is a disservice to the American public who relies on the independent press to hold those in power accountable. Jim, is it normal for the White House to tell the media how they should cover stories involving a potential impeachment of the president? And let me be clear, this isn't a spokesman tweeting or commenting something off the cuff. This was a formally delivered message to the media. What, what's your reaction to this story? Uh, my reaction to that is that this must be pretty serious because the White House would normally just assume that their, uh, their lapdogs in what we used to call the mainstream media would do this without prompting. Uh, if they have to send out an explicit memo <laughs> and deliver it on a piece of paper uh, to to these journalists to get to make sure that they uh, they carry the water for the White House, then that tells me that the White House is actually very worried about this. And why they're worried about it, Chris, is because these are serious actual crimes. Uh, in, in, in along to you know along with being just run of the mill impeachable offenses. So uh, yeah, but I, I am. Actually, the one thing I am surprised, actually pleasantly surprised about was that it was Politico who I think first published this memo. Um, so there must be at least one reporter at Politico who was insulted that they would be handed such so explicitly the talking points and the angles they must take on their stories. I think right. uh, I think the White House stepped on a rake with this one. You know, you know, Donnie, just just one of the one of the things that just came to me and I'm not I'm not using this as the justification to not pursue impeachment. But I would caution those who are all in on impeachment. This could come back to bite the Republicans, because how is the mainstream media going to portray this? They're going to portray this as those evil MAGA Republicans are going after, you know, poor Joe and poor Hunter. So it's not as if this is actually going to be, wow, the mainstream media is saying, guess what? They uncovered all these reports and all these you know, uh, uh, you know, all these you know, instances of the Bidens doing all this stuff. Here's what's most likely going to happen because I watched the mainstream media and I know how they operate. They're going to flip it as these are those crazy mega conservative right wing conspiracy nutcases who are so desperate because they know President Biden's going to win again that they have to try to impeach him. So, you know what? That's actually how it's going to go. And it's actually probably. So, well, I know, so but you what? also. But they hey, do that anyway. Yeah, I know. But I'm trying to also be somewhat pragmatic in the situation and say, let's get away from all the stupid politics stuff. Let's say, you know what? We're about a year out from a very, very, probably the most significant uh, election in my lifetime. And we've got to focus like a hawk on policies and just just hit the economy, the economy, the economy, because that's what the voters care about. The voters don't care about impeachment. They don't care about this you know, Washington, D.C., Kabuki Theater. They don't care about that. They care about what is impacting them. And I think that that just takes the Republicans off messaging. And, the, and Jim, I, I, I think you would agree with this. For the last 20 years or so, the Republicans have been terrible at messaging, especially when it comes to the 20 economy. 20 years. I, no, <laughs> Probably I mean, like 40 years. Uh, I mean, I would say Ronald Reagan was a pretty damn good communicator and messenger. That was 40 that years was, ago. Right. Well, yeah, but he was actually president from 80 to 88. So that was, you know, 30 years ago. But all I'm saying is, is okay. <laughs> you're old. You're old, Chris. Just get over it. <laughs> Speak for yourself. I'm young at heart, man. But what I'm <laughs> stop trying to get me off my game here. You know what I'm saying. And Jim, come on. We got it. You got to admit the Republicans need to focus like a laser on the economy, getting the economy back on track. That's what the American people care about. Bidenomics is a complete and utter train wreck for the American people. 
And if we just, you know, if we if we are distracted by these, you know, stupid political shenanigans in Washington, D.C. that have no chance in hell of ever actually resulting in a conviction and him getting thrown out of office. What is the point? Like, what is the point? I'm sorry. Can you please tell me what the point is? Are you trying to trigger me? Are you doing all this just because Justin is on vacation? (laughs) You're filling in for him. I think the Republicans can walk and chew gum at the same time. I think you can hold the president accountable for his criminal activity with his son to enrich his family, setting up 20 LLCs to launder money from foreign governments, many of them enemies of the United States, to enrich yourself and your family. There should not be an LLC in your granddaughter's name. She doesn't have a, she's, she's not, not. Able to have a job. And yet you're using your family to, to enrich yourself to fund with corrupt foreign money. Chris, if you can't, if you don't want to have any accountability for that at all. No, uh, it's not I that I don't want to tell accountability. You. It's that I don't think that this is the proper channel in which to get that accountability. Here's, here, here, here's to me how accountability should be gotten. It should be gotten when the you know election uh, of 2024 is decided. And if and when the president is elected, they clean house at the DOJ, say goodbye to Garland, say goodbye to, you know, Christopher Wray at FBI and say, now we're actually going to go and pursue these these, you know, allegations and we're going to pursue them in a neutral manner. So instead of using, you know, impeachment, which is not supposed to be used for this kind of stuff, I would much Too rather late. have. A... OK, well, I mean. You know what? You're right, Chris. It shouldn't be used for this sort well, of thing. Well, you know. But it was already going. used for that. Yeah, but uh, too right. And, and, wrong. And, and just to get on the Republican right. messaging, it's like, you know, it's kind of hard to get your message out there and, and to set the narrative when the entirety of the media uh, characterizes every single modest public uh, policy proposal you have as killing children, throwing grandmas off cliffs, starving I, people, mean, ruining you know the I, environment. It's extremely hard to get your message out there when everything you propose is, is, is framed in this way by our corrupt media. Come on. So man. again, you know, I, I, you know, I mean, he, here we are a couple of weeks from another budget, you know, showdown. We've got a $33 trillion national debt. Our GDP to uh, uh, debt ratio is 130%. This is completely unsustainable. Our grandchildren and, you know, generations to come are going to pay for this. And I think that it's incumbent upon us to be the big boys in the room and actually address the issues that need to be addressed. It seems to me that it's very obvious that the Democrats don't want to even address those issues. I would be much happier if the Republicans were saying we're not going to play petty politics anymore. We're really going to talk about the issues that affect American people, the border, Ukraine, economics, that kind of stuff. And say, because they only have so much political political capital to spend. Jim, you know this. You know, you can't also ha- you can't have an impeachment inquiry and impeachment proceedings while also having the, you know, the time and you know resources to do all those other things. So I think that they're kind of falling into a trap here. And I think it would be stupid to go down this trap. I agree with you that President Biden has engaged I- in a whole bunch of shady, you know, stuff from, you know, his days as uh, VP to, you know, when he wasn't VP, to maybe even when he's in office, for all I know. However, I'm just saying, I think that it would be a better political calculation for so many reasons at this point to say the voters have already said, you know, that that they don't want us to go down that road. Let's focus on the things that are impacting them, inflation okay. all right. and all that kind uh, of energy, you know? Jim, Chris, you've, you've yeah. spoken enough. Um, I want to say one thing. I'm going to let Linnea have the last word on this, um, and then I want to move on to our last topic, Davos mm-hmm. Watch. But... I understand Chris's perspective. I think that he's coming from like your, you know, swing voter type of perspective or whatever. But I think exactly. There's, no, no. 
you said you had enough. I said no, no, enough no, no. Keep it, keep it quiet. Um, but I think there is plenty of people, you know, uh, uh, staunch Republican conservatives. They're just going to sit here and be like, I cannot believe like they're they're just going to let Biden get away with everything that we've heard about in the last however you know, however long of time. And then they'll become completely disenfranchised because it just seems like you've got another case where Republicans aren't doing anything. So I think I could kind of see it on both ways. I don't want you to comment, Chris. Monet, I'm giving you the final words on any of this. What do you think about the fierce debate that just happened? Chris, you're muted. I can see you're talking. Stop it. Go ahead, Monet. <laughs> well, you know, Chris is right that a lot of this is kabuki theater, especially when you know, the very serious issues are going on that barely is anyone is talking about, uh, which is that right now NASA is talking about aliens again. <laughs> and, all, and all of us are wasting our time on this impeachment nonsense and all this <laughs> Biden committing crimes nonsense and the, and the economy, whatever, when, you know, the DOD is going to insist to us that we spend time watching C-SPAN again so that we can hear them talk in vague terms about uaps for an hour so that's my final say perfect that's a perfect way to end it um all right well we got uh i got davos watch i'm gonna do that i want to get your guys comments on this story that i have for you uh but let's get that let's get that so maybe two weeks in a row we can get that bumper music working properly All right, welcome to episode four of Davos Watch, where we keep an eye on the global elites from Davos to the UN and all the other advocates of global fascism and totalitarian technocracy. This week, our story comes to my attention from the White House itself. It's a press release titled Fact Sheet. President Biden and Prime Minister Modi host leaders on partnership for global infrastructure and investment. So as some of you know, and others surely won't, the 2023 G20 Summit took place over the weekend in New Delhi, India. The G20, or Group of 20, is an international forum of economic cooperation and policy coordination composed of the world's major economies. It was established in the late 90s. The countries represented include the United States, the United Kingdom, Saudi Arabia, India, Germany, Brazil, a whole bunch of European countries, and historically China. And I say historically because Xi Jinping was not in attendance this year, but more on that later. Uh, at these usual annual uh, G20 meetings, leaders and representatives of their respective countries talk about various issues and often outline or strike up agreements on the issues that have a global impact in scope and measure. These can relate to global financial stability, responses to financial crisis, crises, dra uh, trade issues, the and most notably, especially in the last several years, climate change. And this year, there were a couple, quote unquote, achievements touted by the G20. One of them was reforms to the World Bank, because now under the leadership 
uh, of World Bank President Ajay Banga, who is the former CEO of MasterCard, who also attended the original launch event for the Great Reset and appointed to his position at the World Bank Chief by President Biden. Under his leadership, the World Bank will now be expanding its mission to include issues such as climate change and pandemics. That sounds good, doesn't it, folks? Also, progress on climate change was supposedly made. The member countries have agreed to triple their renewable energy capacity globally by 2030, a goal that will require $40 trillion a year, apparently. But most interesting aspect of this year's G20 summit was the advancement of the Partnership for Global Infrastructure, or PGI. So the Partnership for Global Infrastructure is a rebrand of a plan launched two years ago at a G7 summit called Build Back Better World. This is a project that was promoted by Joe Biden. It was a, you know, a take on his Build Back Better domestic policies, but Build Back Better World or as it's now called, the Partnership for Global Infrastructure, is a plan to funnel investments into scaling up, quote-unquote, high-quality infrastructure projects and develop develop economic corridors in low- and middle-income countries. Leaders of this initiative suggest that these actions will, quote, enable inclusive and sustainable growth and promote economic activity and prosperity in Asia and Africa and around the world. So at the G20 summit, President Biden made a series of announcements pertaining to the PGI, which are outlined in the fact sheet that I mentioned at the beginning of this segment. The first one is the India-Middle East-European Economic Corridor. The intention of this is to connect India to Europe with the creation of a new rail line and modernizing their existing ports. Also, they want to connect the two continents to commercial hubs and facilitate the development and the export of clean energy products. Also, to strengthen trade and manufacturing synergies in the uh, in the two countries. Development of the Labito, Labido, I don't know how to pronounce that, um, corridor in Africa. This is creating a rail line in Africa connecting Zambia and the Congo to a port in Angola. This is to expand, this is their words, not mine. This is to expand the export possibilities for critical minerals needed for electric vehicles. And a whole series of other investments around the world. $425 million to financing a solar company in India to produce solar cells. Other investments in India for firms to, to build battery storage and other green energy technologies. $50 million to India to a pharmaceutical company to create manuf- a manufacturing plant. Modernizing ports in El Salvador, enhancing supply chains in Mozambique, and building transportation systems in the Philippines. So this is where it gets really interesting. To our extremely advanced listeners, these sorts of deals and plans outlined under this Partnership for Global Infrastructure may seem a little familiar to you. And the reason for that is, is that the PGI, formerly known as the Build Back Better World Program, was modeled after China's Belt and Road Initiative. So China's Belt and Road Initiative is a major component of Xi Jinping's foreign policy agenda. It is an ambitious infrastructure project which seeks to leak China to countries throughout Asia, Europe, Africa, and Oceania. Oce- Oce- How do you say that? Say it for me. 
Oceania, I don't know. The Belt and Road Initiative has allowed China to establish itself as a stronger regional power, giving China more geopolitical influence. Also, the partnership established under the Belt and Road Initiative grants China access to critical mineral resources throughout the world. China basically goes into a developing country, offers to build up all their infrastructure, build ports and railways, and in return, they gain access to valuable resources. So critics of China's Belt and Road Initiative equate it to modern-day colonization, a blatant exploitation of the country's natural resources, and some even accuse China of luring countries into debt traps where they'll be stuck paying off loans to China forever. Regardless of how nefarious you want to paint this, the Belt and Road Initiative is an ingenious plan to expand the power and influence of China. And the U.S. and the West, seeing the success of the Belt and Road Initiative, wanted to get into the game as well. So they created Build Back Better World, or now as it's called, Partnership for Global Infrastructure. And this isn't just my conjecture here. I have the quotes to back it up. President Biden, after the launch of the Build Back Better World, said, quote, what's happening is that China has its Belt and Road Initiative, and we think that there's a much more equitable way to provide for the needs of countries around the world. Jake Sullivan, Biden's national security advisor prior to the summit where PGI was relaunched, said, Biden will be launching a partnership for global infrastructure, physical health, and digital infrastructure that we think can provide an alternative to what the Chinese are offering to the tune of tens and ultimately hundreds of billions of dollars when you add to what our G7 partners are going to do as well. So I have a few more quotes uh, uh, from other experts that talk about the PGI and the Belt and Road Initiative in the same breath. But uh, uh, now... I, I'm not saying that the United States is trying to achieve the same goals with, with the, the Partnership for Global Infrastructure that the Chinese are trying to achieve with their Belt and Road Initiative, um, but they are. <laughs> so there's just that. So I believe what we got here is a global economic battle that is shaping up. This looks to me, and, and granted, I'm no geopolitical expert by any means, but this looks like to me as banner rallying. China is trying to expand their sphere of influence as far and wide as possible and not to be left behind. The United States is doing the same thing, using the same types of strategies. And to this, the seemingly growing tension behind the U.S. and China over Taiwan and Russia uh, that's going on, I feel like we've got some real trouble brewing. And like I mentioned earlier on, Xi Jinping did not attend this year's G20, and this in itself ruffled some feathers. John Finer, the U.S. Deputy National Security Advisor, told reporters at the summit, quote, it's incumbent upon the Chinese government to explain why its leader would or would not participate. Finer continued, some have speculated China's absence indicated that it's giving up on the G20 and building an alternative world order, that it will privilege groupings like the BRICS. So this is the situation that we find ourselves in. And these are the plans that are being rolled out by the ruling elites in places like G20 and Davos. And remember, like I say at the end of all of these segments, that these ambitious plans and global organizations are incredibly well-connected and incredibly influential. And oftentimes, the things that they say and do go largely ignored, and they go ignored at our own peril. 
we've discussed numerous times on this podcast that uh, the the infrastructure uh, for ESG and the Great Reset was constructed right under our noses, but people weren't paying attention to Davos, so it went largely ignored. And that is why I've started Davos Watch, where every week I intend to shine a light on some elements of the global elites, and I hope that you stay tuned so that you can stay informed. So, Chris, I'm going to go to you first. Let's see. Uh, you got to got to get unmuted there. You're you're out of the penalty box. But uh, what what are your thoughts on this story? G20 Belt and Road Initiative and the Partnership for Global Infrastructure. Oh, geez. I mean, you uh, you laid out a lot there. So um, China has been obviously doing its Belt and Road Initiative for a couple of decades. Uh, Donnie, one one thing that I do want to like one specific thing I want to uh, talk about there is. And you didn't mention this. Uh, they're doing it for naval bases, especially mm. you know on um, uh, the coast of Africa, and especially in uh, you know the, the southeast China Sea, where they are trying to just establish that they are the uh, number one preeminent superpower. Um, in ter- instead of the United States trying to compete with them in a uh, giveaway for funding and infrastructure, which is likely just going to go to corrupt leaders who are going to use it for their own personal piggy banks. I would much rather have the United States try to go in there and say, we are going to uh, negotiate free trade agreements because that is the best way for a up and coming developing nation to become prosperous for us to engage in free, fair and open trade. The United States, when we just plow billions of dollars in uh, foreign aid, that doesn't work. That hasn't worked. We've seen that, you know, time and time and time again. So, I, I mean, I think that China is, and I, I've read a couple of books on this, that China is all in on their Belt and Road Initiative. And like you said, they is a debt trap. They only use Chinese labor. And a lot of these countries are actually after the uh, infrastructure, whether it's, you know, a, a train rail or, you know, a giant new port system or whatever, after that's built, the uh, people in that country are actually really, really angry with China. So there's, there's a growing resentment in the countries in which China has gone into and already, you know, uh, implemented their Belt and Road um, policy. So I think that this is an opportunity for the United States to say, because there's still a lot of developing countries, especially in Africa and in, you know, some of the poorer parts of uh, Southeast Asia, who are open to forming alliances and partnerships. And right now, you know, in the Cold War, post-Cold War era, you know, for from the end of World War II until 1991, when the Soviet Union, you know, disappeared off the face of the earth, the United States and the uh, Soviet Union were, were basically embroiled in the same sort of Cold War. The Soviet Union tried to go in and set up communist regimes through guerrilla warfare and coups, and the United States tried to, you know, block that. We're now in a very different, you know, paradigm. In the 21st century, it's all, I think, going to be about economic assistance and trying to pr- uh, promote economic partnerships. China is all in on BRICS. They're trying to do their digital currency. They're trying to supplant the West as the preeminent uh, military and economic superpower. And I think that we need to definitely see that that is, you know, on the horizon and we need to do everything we can to blunt that. But I don't think that we want to go, you know, go down the path that China's going down with these giant infrastructure boondoggles. I think we want to definitely say, we want you, the country to become uh, prosperous. We want to, you know, uh, in, you know, uh, promote democracy, you know, there, but don't do it by just pouring billions and billions and billions of dollars, you know, 
uh, into those corrupt countries because a lot of times that does not get to the people. It goes to the leader. They use that for palaces and you know keep their uh, corrupt uh, regimes in place. So I think we are definitely in a uh, in a you know brave new world, and it's just it's it's going to be incumbent upon the United States and you know presidents uh, in the in the next coming years to try to navigate this and to make sure that we do maintain our Western alliances, especially with Western Europe and, you know, key nations in Africa and India, India is going to be so key. India and China are our rivals. They've been our rivals for thousands of years. We need to bring India into our orbit. And in order to do that, I think we need to develop strong economic ties with them. And I think that it's important to do that through free and fair trade, not through, um, infrastructure, you know, uh, boondoggle programs. Yeah, Linnea, the whole the whole point of of my Davos Watch segment is to pay attention to what all these world leaders routinely going on these trips and going to these conferences and discussing and striking up deals, and they do this with like hardly even a mention in the media about it. Like this G twenty summit, I feel like if I didn't bring it up and start talking about it on here, no one would even have known that it happened. So. What, what's your take on this? Do you do you agree with me that not enough attention is paid to this, or you know, do you think this is just more kind of theatrics on the part of these world leaders going to these places? Well, one, it's I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's theatrics because they're I think that they mean to have you know these kind of eloquent clips taken and used in the media when they give their uh, public talks, but it's not some of the most absurd things that we have clips of that we show on Heartland Institute programs um, have come out of these conferences, but it's Mm -hmm. not so much the public um, talks, the little like keynote speeches that they give that are concerning to me. It's when they sit down for meals and are hanging out and shooting the breeze (laughs) together uh, or after these keynotes and stuff, when they go out to dinner, those are the times I think when, um, some real kind of, you know, people are always making the comments about smoke-filled rooms and uh, the basements of expensive hotels and stuff. And I think really that is some of the power here. And the reason why people don't talk about the G20 and uh, Davos stuff all that much in general is because it is kind of a snooze fest (laughs) for the most part. It's kind of rare that you get those, you know, like the Jane Goodall clip about wanting to reduce the population to what it was in like the middle ages or even earlier, that kind of thing. Um, You don't get those all that often. Usually it's kind of, you know, boilerplate global socialist stuff, which is bad, but it's not the kind of thing that's going to get people outraged. Um, But, you know, as, as Chris said, what these guys are doing is something totally different than, you know, it's not exploitation to go to a, poorer country or developing country and set up trade with them for natural resources that they have. But it is exploitative to go in and get them stuck in a debt trap of some kind or to pay banks or to encourage banks to not um, invest in fossil fuel projects that they want to start up in those other countries or in mining projects until, of course, they become convenient for, you know, the powers that be, whether it be China or um, some new Western desire to get extra lithium or whatever it happens to be. <clears throat> Sorry, I am losing my voice here. Um, <laughs> that's that's exploitation. That's abusing these countries for their resources and not letting them develop. 
Um, and it's, and it's not even just that, you know, we dump aid on them and it doesn't work. Um, it doesn't work if you take them at face value for what they're claiming the purpose of dumping aid on them is. If you look at dumping aid into these countries and you say, well, the purpose is to lift them out of poverty, then it doesn't work. But if the purpose is something else, if the purpose is the result that we have, which is that these countries have, you know, they're basically beholden to Western countries or to China to help them to stay with their heads above water. Um, if that's, and it's kind of dark, but if that's the goal, then it's a success. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I really, yeah, I, I couldn't say, I couldn't say worse things about these you know, G20 you know, people. But before, before 2000, when China entered the World Trade Organization, they were a back, you know, just a third world, you know, backwards developing nation themselves. But we did engage in trade with them for 20 years, but we didn't do it on a fear on a free and fair level. Look what they've become. I would rather yeah. the, United, the United States say, OK, China, like you have, you know, uh, you you have violated our trade agreements time and time again. We're done, you know, trading with you. We're done building factories there. Build those factories in Latin America, South America, and Africa. There is so, there is lots of labor. There are lots of natural resources, and that would you know uh, tie them with us, you know, economically, and it would put uh, China in a big big hole. So I mean, that to me is kind of the, the common sense move in this situation. However, um, I don't know if that's going to happen, especially with uh, you know Biden in the White House. Yeah, I, th I think we should impeach him. Personally. <laughs> He's come around. I think Jim has uh, has cooled off. We gave him a little break. Uh, I think he's cooled <laughs> off. But uh, I don't know. Me talking about the kind of the the machinations of these globalists at these international conferences <laughs> may have reheated them. Not entirely. I can see sure. the steam coming from it. So Jim, take us home. We're already sixteen minutes late in the podcast. But uh, what what do you have to say about this kind of G twenty stuff that I was just laying out for us all? Well, first of all, I just want to point out that it's uh, Oceania. So um, the fact that you couldn't say that properly proves that you were not AI or AI assisted as a host. So oh, uh, you're lucky that you. Yes, that's OK. 100% I, was almost, I was almost muting you. But yes, you make a good point. Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> and, and second, you know, um, I, I used to when I was a journalist, I covered for The Washington Times. I actually went to some of these uh, international confabs. Uh, I went to a um, NATO summit. I went to a G20 summit. Um, uh, went to one, I forget which one it was, in South America. In Chile, it was pretty cool. It's nice to travel the world like that. But um, as Linnea says, they are kind of snooze fests. Um, and I always wondered, you know, what really is going on? What is the real value of these things um, as far as international relations go? Um, the But what strikes me, Donnie, when uh, you're laying all of this out there, is how in the past, and even before I was covering this stuff as a journalist, but you know, back in the 80s when these major summits were going on and the Soviet Union was still around, it was basically a gathering of how to leverage free market capitalism to help continue to enrich the West um, with the understanding that the socialist uh, Eastern Bloc would eventually collapse under the, uh, the incompetence of its own system. But it seems to me now these gatherings are much more socialist in nature. Um, they looked to the rise of China, which has taken oppressive communist society, kept the oppression and the political um, system in place, but embraced um, money. I, 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 
reluctant to even call it really capitalism, but they basically have exploited Western capitalism um, to enrich themselves and to empower their government. And I think there's too many governments and leaders, especially in organizations like the World Economic Forum, that don't look to China as a problem, but as a model. And they want, all of these discussions are about um, centrally planned, controlled, and directed societies and uh, economics, basically. Uh, and so these, so we can create commerce if we build um, this infrastructure. This, uh, you know, instead of seeing if there's a real market for there for that, or letting the market handle it um, in, in a legitimate way, it's all this command and control stuff. Again, China can do that because it's basically a closed society in many ways, and they and they're doing it basically in their own country, and then the countries from which they have a lot of influence. But again, to get to what Linnea was saying, you know, what what they don't want. You know, the, they have to and they have to control and command the economies if they're going to impose their green agenda, because if you allowed developing countries to develop and use the energy systems that they see fit, the energy systems that enrich the West in the first place, like coal and natural gas, um, that would be a threat to the to the system and would certainly just scuttle any kind of Green New Deal stuff. So, you know, I'll take I'll take these these um, these summits seriously when the global leaders of the West who are demanding that the United States, for instance, lead the world in destroying our economy by wrecking our entire energy system, I'll get serious about this and take them seriously when they, when they apply those rules to China, which they are not doing, of course. And so yeah, well, it seems to me the entire purpose of these things is to diminish the traditional economic and military powers of the West and to enrich and empower um, you know, the more socialist rivals in the what. Uh, Trump would call the third world. It's not Trump, but Biden would call the third world, but we're not supposed to say that. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I've said about the Great Reset that I feel like that's just the West's attempt at kind of creating that command economy that is the that is predominant in China. And this partnership for global infrastructure is 100% just trying to model itself after China's Belt and Road Initiative. So all the terrible stuff, and we have the quotes quotes too of justin trudeau basically saying oh yeah i wish we could do stuff more like china when it came to covid or whatever i feel like that is absolutely the case and these are what these people are talking about at these summits and i'm going to continue to shine a light on it as much as possible in every weekly segment of davos watch but you hear the music that means what we are done with the show i want to thank you all for tuning into this episode of the in the tank podcast join us every week for a new episode those audio only listeners that are probably catching the show on a friday or later a leave a review for us on itunes it'd be greatly appreciated and b join us where we are live streaming this content uh, on video live at noon central time on youtube and rumble and twitter and facebook and join the conversation throw your comments and questions in the chat maybe we'll show your comment on the screen maybe we'll address your questions on the fly also, you could help us out by just hitting that like button, sharing this content, subscribing if you haven't already, or just leaving a comment under the video. All these things break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. If you'd like, you can follow us on Twitter at InTheTankPod. If you have any comments or suggestions for the show, feel free to email us at InTheTankPodcast at gmail.com. Jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you? At Jay Lakely on Twitter, at Heartland Inst on Twitter, and always visit Heartland.org. Linnea Lucan, same question. Uh, come watch us tomorrow at uh, noon central on the climate change roundtable on the Heartland Institute um, Facebook or not Facebook. Well, I guess it's on Facebook too, but on their YouTube page, 
uh, not the Stopping Socialism page because we kicked them out because Jim <laughs> kept trying to get the whole channel shut down. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. Chris, what do you have to pitch today? Um, Heartland.org and StoppingSocialism.com. Fantastic. All right, man, a few words. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week. Oh, yeah. You're a lion, dog face, pony soldier. You said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Biden. <laughs>